Welcome to Medford's Best Podcast, and I am your host, Mark Roberts, and with me today is not only the sage of Medford, but Peter Sage, <laughs> very famous man in Medford, and my first guest in the studio. How do you like the studio? The studio's fine. It's uh, nice and warm. It's very comfortable. Thank you. How about the artwork? we got Satchel Paige, Roberto Clemente, and, um, and, King uh, of Thailand. Yeah, and you have a... Uh, OR7. Uh, OR7. That's OR7, okay. Yeah, it didn't Good. quite come out how we wanted it to. No, it looks fine. But the pictures, you know, the, the ability to catch them on camera is a little difficult. There's not so many pictures pictures of him out there so let's see what are you famous for you caught the medford tribune discriminating against people who were longer time subscribers how does that feel it felt like i was a truth teller <laughs> I, I i i like to think i'm honestly i'm a i'm a fan of a hometown newspaper uh, i'd like them to be what they they aspire to be what they say they are not who they really are who they really are is a is an organization that has a lot of tradition, but they're scrambling, and one of the ways they're scrambling is to do the subscription game world. What happened was I was sitting having dinner with a fellow Rotarian who uh, had just got a uh, uh, who, who had just paid uh, two hundred and forty dollars for his. You're fixing something. Who just paid two hundred and forty dollars for his for Mail Tribune subscription, and I had just that afternoon written a check for three hundred and seventy dollars. <laughs> and so we were talking about Mail Tribune and subscribing. He said, "Yeah, two hundred and forty. I said, "No, no, it's three seventy. He said, "No, uh, no, it's two forty. I said, "Hey, I know it's three seventy. And he said, "I know." So we kind of made a friendly bet. And no, we might. We just uh, we go home. We're going to both look at our checkbooks. We then took a picture and sent each other our checkbooks and our invoices. And his said, "Thanks for being a loyal subscriber. Two hundred and." 40. And mine said, thanks for being a loyal subscriber, 370. I'm going, hey, what's the deal? I jumped to the conclusion that, I made a couple of inquiries, but I jumped to the conclusion that those were the two prices. I didn't know the part of it. But I, I wrote a uh, thing saying, guess what? The longer you're a subscriber, the uh, higher it is. What I didn't realize was how bad it was. But I told on the Mail Tribune, I, I said, hey, I, what I discovered is there were some of my Rotarian friends were paying 140 115 with a five dollar kind of setup fee. How, long, how uh, long have they been customers? Or the shorter time you're a customer, the lower the price. Oh. And so what I discovered is I, I I'll just let me explain. If you're short term, if you if you call in or a new customer, it's 119. If you're there for a couple of years, they they put it up. The longer you're a customer, the more it gets. Although it does top out at 440 dollars. And so what happened was sitting around a rotary table, I discovered that there were people paying between 115 and $440. And it all depended on whether you complained or not. If you as soon as you complain, hey, oh no, well, I then I I gave a acid test um, on a home out here at Table Rock, uh, which I, I don't get a newspaper out there, but I called them up and said, uh, I'd like to get a, uh, my son a subscription and the address is, and I gave the Table Rock Road a, a address, and they said, uh, great, $114, with a, uh, $115. I said, yeah, okay. I said, actually, you know what, let's not do it in my son's name, let's do it in my name. I said, I'm, I'm Peter Sage. At which point there was some clicking and whatever, and they said, yeah, that, that's not available. And I said, so it's available for Dylan Sage, but not for Peter Sage. Yes, you're already a subscriber. So I teased out the, what, what the deal is, uh, and I'll just give your, your listeners, uh, this is free money, the, the kind of thing you get at, at uh, Medford's uh, best uh, podcast. 
complain or change it from your name let, let it close change it from your name to a wife's name or to somebody else's name keep your same last name so anyway and all of a sudden they start the cycle over what i discovered was the more loyal you were the more kind of passive they would raise their rate and and having been a financial advisor for 30 years i likened this in a way to charging a higher fee to the sweet trusting old lady clients, people who liked me, people who brought me cookies at Christmas, the people who liked me and trusted me the most, I would be treating worse than newcomers. And I said, I wouldn't do that. That would feel immoral to me to take advantage of people's trust that way. And honestly, that's how I looked at it from the Middle Tribune. And I said so. And they went uh, apoplectic. It was nasty. So uh, I'm sure you can Google Peter Sage Mail Tribune uh, uh, if you care to and, and read a really, really, really ugly editorial about what a jerk I am. But hey, it was a good thing. It moved the readership of my, my, my blog had sort of settled into three or 400 a day at that point because the election was over and that put me up regularly around 1,000 people a day. While we're at it, do, why don't we give your blog a post because you don't have a .com website. I don't. It's peterwsage.blogspot.com. Uh, if you Google Peter Sage Medford, the first thing that comes up, are those three words, Peter Sage and Medford, the first thing that comes up is up close with Peter Sage. I've been writing it. Uh, I, somehow or another, I, I write every single day for uh, three and a half years, uh, beginning when I went off to New Hampshire to look up close at political campaign events it's actually easiest pie you you go to new hampshire you can do it right now if you do if you were there this week five days you could see six different people amy klomacher uh, uh cory booker you know i can't do it from offhand from memory five different five different people no six different people are there over the next five days and you can actually see two or three events maybe four events a day and I saw some pictures on what, your website, and you, yeah. there was a picture of you and Chris Christie. Does he count as two people? No, he's big, but he's you know what? I don't I don't make fat jokes, and okay. uh, he's he's pretty good about it. And that picture was actually taken by David Kellerman, who won a Pulitzer Prize. Okay, so look, this isn't this isn't a. Uh, I'm more interested in your story today. This All isn't right. a Democrat versus Republicans and liberal versus conservatives, but. I was looking for info on your melon farm, and I yeah. found a story of your dad's passing. He lived a long life, and what I found interesting is your family has been here for a very long time. Yeah, 1883. Okay. That was my next question. The basis for calling yourself an Oregonian seems to be dependent on how long you've been here. So how long has your family been here? Obviously, well, that's more than 100 years. Yeah, it was 130-some years. Uh, my uh, family came, my great-grandfather on... Once I was a, uh, a Union soldier, uh, he was found himself in Georgia, I think, and married a 15-year-old, and then had, over the course of 20 years, had uh, 10 children with her, one of whom was my grandmother. So he, he came in 1883 and established the farm. And then about in the 1930s, kind of a curious thing, he divided the farm equally among the 10 kids. He didn't, wasn't like he gave it to the guys and uh, said the girls, you go, every child got about uh, about 17 acres, uh, a long, narrow strip. Picture a, um, a skinny 12-inch ruler, you know, 12 inches long and uh, three quarters of an inch. It's a little, it's a little fatter than a yardstick, but it's thicker than a, than it's uh, thicker than a, uh, narrower than a ruler, typical uh, ruler. So the farm, the, it's 4,000 feet long from Table is, Rock Road to the river. Is there an agro 
cultural term for the way it was split up? Or? Uh, no, no, it was it was just arbitrary. Evil. Some of the some of the daughters uh, sold it to the brothers for for money, and uh, uh, my mother uh, or my grandmother uh, kept her strip, and uh, we acquired a, an adjacent one. So the farm is basically uh, 400 feet wide and uh, 4,500 feet long. Uh, and I've wow, been, that's uh, a and, weird setup. It is, but hey, I'll tell you a funny story about it, and it's it's the melon thing. Uh, I, uh, my, my father was a school principal and we, I, we, I grew up, uh, out at the farm at near the base of Table Rock and then, uh, but we lived in town and, but we, dad wanted me to work on the farm primarily to show me how miserable hard physical labor is so that I would uh, be sure to get an education. He discovered that Christmas trees were too slow a rotation to keep a, uh, 10 year old interested, but we began growing cantaloupes. So between about age uh, 11 and 16, when I got a driver's license, it was mostly my dad's show, and uh, we helped him. But when it was when I turned 16, it was pretty much my show, and we, my brother, younger brother, and I grew an acre of melons. Back during that period, I'd make a thousand dollars off of my half of the crop. Uh, we grow an acre of melons. We would sell them for between 15 and 20 cents a pound at Thunderbird Market and what's now called Food for Less, but Sherm owned to those, both of those and uh, a couple of ranch stands. But the price of melons is the same today as it was in 1965 when I uh, uh, first got a driver's license. And how's the revenue changed? Uh, well, <laughs> has that stayed the same? <laughs> the the uh, costs, of, of course, of, of, are up uh, 10 or whatever. There's no money in growing melons uh-huh. now. You can Factory farms in Hermiston and in Southern California are growing not great melons, but, but honestly, they're not terrible either. They're, they're what the customers are, are okay with. They're, they're picked green and shipped. The difference between a melon picked green and a melon picked vine ripe is enormous. It's just, it's, uh, but most people don't know and most people don't care. So it, uh, in a marketplace, if the customer is perfectly willing to have a cheap, okay melon, as opposed to a somewhat more expensive, terrific melon, well, you know, the customer is queen. Is that just a legacy thing for you? I mean, it seems like a pain in the ass to me. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass, but uh-huh. it's, uh, but it's, you know what? You like it. I like it. It's, uh, it's, it's sort of like, uh, why does a person love a ugly, barky dog? Well, you know what? I've always loved the barky dog. You know, it's my deal. So I've, I like, um, I've grown melons. And during my time as a financial advisor, I would grow very, very good melons. I would put them in a fancy bag. I would have some tissue paper. And I would hand uh, three to five beautiful, perfect melons to my clients. And that was the highest and best use of, of a melon farm was not to sell them for 15 cents a pound. It was to hand them to a millionaire. Cool. I like that. Yeah. So give me the short story. How did you go from Medford to Harvard? Because that I was is not a common occurrence. No, not common. It's, it's a little harder now. Uh, back, back in the 1960s, typically two to five students a year out of Jackson County would go to what I'll call a fancy school. Tend to be Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, uh, honestly, the palette of schools people applied to are pretty small, but those were the uh, maybe three a year. 
1967, it was sort of my year. We had a strong class, so a couple of kids went to Princeton, a couple of kids went to Stanford, and I went to Harvard. You know what? I, I, I was okay at school. They, uh, uh, Harvard in those days would accept about 15 people a year from Oregon, and uh, I was one of the 15. Uh, I, I'm still active as, a, as an alum. Mm -hmm. It's heartbreaking now because people now apply to way more schools, so they get way more rejections. I mean, uh, back in the back in the, in the late 1960s, about uh, I applied to three schools. Now people apply to 15 schools, but they get rejected by all but two or three. So it's in a funny way, it, it's the same number of people go to fancy schools maybe this year as did before. But as a, I'm the chair of the Harvard Alumni uh, Committee that interviews local people. And so I interview about uh, eight or ten young, wonderful, perfect students every year in four years of doing it, totaling maybe 35 students, exactly uh, uh, one has been accepted. Wow, uh, to, wow. Which, if you do that math, is 3 or 4%. But how many are able to pay the tuition these that days? That is free. Tuition's easy. Really? It, it, a lot of billionaires went to Harvard and uh -huh. it's it's a uh, so it has a gigantic endowment and it's okay. and but it it's not explained uh, if you if you're accepted at Harvard and your parents have lots of money then they'll charge you 70 or so thousand a year to go there if your parents if, if you if your parents are both surgeons honestly you can afford it and they do and then if your parents are school teachers uh, you get a scholarship for the whole shebang what was your tuition there? And I remember, it, no, I remember it well. I, uh -huh. I, I for my office, uh, I, I found a uh, my senior years. They called them a term bill. It was the invoice from the uh, from the bursar's office, and it was two thousand. It, it was for a semester. It was a thousand dollars a year for tuition for a thousand dollars a semester, two thousand uh -huh. a year. But remember, that was at a time when I, as a sixteen-year-old turning seventeen could earn and save $1,000 from a melon crop. So I was earning, and I could also then you know, fight forest fires. So I would, make, I would earn every summer $2,000, which is, was, at the time, a Harvard tuition. Here's That's a lot of money for tuition in 1960s. Well, here's seems. what's, there, there's a, for your listeners, I, I, wanna, I wanna get an idea across. In 1967, a young man with a little bit of hustle who worked 55 or 60 hours a week during the summer could earn and save $2,000, which was a Harvard tuition. Today, tuition alone would be $55,000. And there's no amount of, unless you're selling cocaine or something, I don't know, there's nothing legal you could do in a summer in Southern Oregon if you're a 17-year-old to earn and save you know, $55,000. So it's, however, SOU, Southern Oregon University, prides itself on being very inexpensive and tuition at SOU would be about $7,500. So, and a, and a young man with hustle who worked 60 hours a week and, you know, was diligent can probably earn and save $7,500 in the summer. So what's happened in terms of minimum wage and the ability of people to earn money versus the cost of college has shifted dramatically. What was possible in 1967 was to work your way through Harvard. What's possible in 19, uh, 2018 
is to work your way through Southern Oregon University, a, 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 a regional university that prides itself on being really affordable. Nobody thought Harvard was affordable in 1967. It was the most expensive place in America in 1967, and still more or less is. What's happened is that the rewards you get from working hard as a working person have diminished enormously when compared with college tuition, which is the big expense for young people with ambition and want to go to school. Now, oddly enough, telephone calls are cheaper now than they were then, but college tuition and medical care, two things which, uh, one of which advances your career and one of which is essential, have become very, very expensive. So I had one more question before we go into some political questions, and that was, what do you remember about Medford way back in the day before it became yeah. Medford of today? I have a couple of things that would be, might be interesting to your listeners. One is that there were no black people here. There, there may have been. If there was, at Medford High, class of 1967, there were maybe 750 people in the graduating class. There was not a single black person. There was exactly one Asian. There undoubtedly were some uh, Hispanics people, but I did not see them or know them, or they were in no classes of mine, and honestly, they were rare if present. It was a white community, period. That's a difference. What else was different? You know, that one comes to mind. Hmm. I'm also curious, actually, what year did you get back? Obviously, early 70s. Yeah. Um, and did you start your career as a stockbroker no. right away? No. I, uh, I dropped out of a graduate program at Yale. I, I thought that when I was at Harvard, I would become a, a, a history professor, write and teach history. But I decided after a year of it that where I was at, at Yale in a great program, I decided that uh, I wanted to do something else with I wanted to change the world and I didn't think that historians did that I thought that people in politics might change the world I left and uh, traveled around the country looking at historical museums and things and it was odd I was married at the time and I uh, uh, my my wife wanted to start graduate school in Boston so I showed up and I was offered three jobs in a week all three jobs paid exactly seven hundred and fifty dollars a month and one of them was in the telecommunications equipment business. And I decided with my wisdom there was no future in telecommunications equipment. And the other one was in the computer uh, industry. And I thought there's no future in computers. So I took a job working for the mayor of Boston uh, doing history. I, that's where I thought the, the uh, future was. And so I worked for, as an aide to the mayor of Boston. But I decided my future wasn't in Boston. My future was in Oregon where I grew up where the farm was, uh, where I wanted to be. If I was going to live my life someplace, I wanted to do it back where I wanted to be. So I came back here without a job, almost immediately found a job working for the then Democratic Congressman Jim Weaver, who represented the district that included Greater Medford up to Eugene, over to the coast. Back then, Oregon had four con congressional districts, and it was the fourth congressional district, basically Eugene south to the coast. And... I did that, became sort of known as his aide. Did you go to Washington? No, I stayed here. Stayed in the, here. I, I did political work in the, in the district, then ran for county commissioner. So I was elected in, 19, elected in 1980. I joke, notwithstanding the Reagan landslide. It was, a, it was a tough year to be a Democrat. Reagan won Jackson County 60-40, and I was a Democratic county commissioner candidate, but I won a majority of the votes. 
served a term, but decided after about into my third year that I wasn't going to run for re-election. I wanted, uh, I decided that politics was really, really fascinating, but a lousy career. I decided that careerism in politics made you too vulnerable and therefore subject to being compromised. And I didn't want to do that. So I went to work as a financial advisor at a company then called Shearson, which went through name changes every two years. But I, I never changed jobs, but I stayed there, but the, the company kept changing out from under me mm-hmm. and had a 30-year career that was successful and fun. And I retired now three and a half years ago. My dad was a stockbroker, as yeah. you well know. I know how difficult it is um, to be a stockbroker. I just can't even fathom trying to get people in a small valley to invest their money and make a living out of it, knowing just specifically how hard the job is in the first place. Um, I had an advantage. Some things have changed dramatically. Back in the day, the early 1980s, the Mail Tribune had a big reportorial staff. They had one person whose job was to cover the county beat. And there were two or three stories a day about Jackson County. I mean, right now, I, I'm going to bet that most of your listeners cannot name the three county commissioners, wouldn't recognize that. They, they might be able to, but I'm going to guess most of them cannot. Back in the day, I was quoted in the newspaper and on television. I was on television four days a week uh, being uh, with reporters would stand up in front of me and, and do a, what they would call a stand-up. Uh, and I was quoted in the Mail Tribune oh, probably, th- you know, again, three or four times a week. In fact, one of the, one of the people who covered me was uh, Ann Curry, uh, who then had a, bi- who had a gigantic career, it turns sure. out. But uh, Ann, Ann Curry was one of what I then called dismissively, me shame on me, shame. I, I call them the news puppies because I was a big grown-up. I was 32, but the news people covering me were basically uh, 22. Uh, they were fresh out of college. They basically... Uh, eight years younger than I am, they would stand in front of me, hand me a microphone, they'd have a microphone, and they'd ask me a question. They would be carrying a 30-pound camera, and they, uh, back in those days, it was the cameras were huge, and the lighting was different, so you'd have a big uh, three or four very bright lights that were carried on a, on a stanchion or whatever, some little stand. So it was, there was a big production. And unless you were in bright sunlight, the, to get the lighting right, they had to carry two big pieces of equipment. So setting it up. So I was a good guy. I would, I would help them carry the light stand. We'd set it up. And then, so I was, I was easy to quote. I had an advantage. Mark, I, I, was, I was well known in the community, and half the people had voted for me. So when I called them up to see if I could be of service, you know what? Some people said, oh, yeah, I voted for you. Yeah, yeah you're a pretty good commissioner. So it all worked. Good, good. Yeah, I mean, we... With my old man, we ran into a lot of luck, a lot of hard work and a lot of luck. So I, here's here's my first p- political question. Yeah. And you touched on this a couple of days ago. You wrote an article, or I, I guess on your blog, you wrote about the pipeline. Yeah. And as you know, I'm behind clean and energy-dense energy. Natural gas is not necessarily clean, but it's um, emission-free. Well, it's not emission-free. It's it's CO2 dense, but it is energy dense. It produces energy, but it's particulate free. Uh, People don't seem to understand this, but there's a bigger picture here. And that is 
the pipeline could be a long-term profitable asset for not just the people of Southern Oregon, but for the people of all of Oregon. At what point did the people here in your memory decide that that thing we do called commerce, like they do in the other 49 states, decide we don't have to be participants in that anymore? Mark, I've, I've blogged about this, and I'll once again plug my blog, Up Close with Peter Sage. You'll find it by Googling Peter Sage Medford. I've had some concerns about my, I'll, I'll go ahead and admit it, fellow Democrats, that they have become very consumer-oriented but not producer-oriented. They live in wooden houses but don't like timber harvest. They drive cars but don't think we ought to drill for oil. They eat meat but don't want slaughterhouses. You know, And it's like, hold it, there's a hypocrisy built into that. If we needed a pipeline in order to bring us natural gas so that we could reduce the amount of wood waste we were using for heating and electric so that we could have a much cleaner thing, people would love it. Oh, good, cleaner air. Our winter air back in the, back in the 60s and 70s and 80s used to be really, really terrible. It's way cleaner now. It mm-hmm. really is way cleaner. I and have one heard of, that. And one of the reasons it's way cleaner is that we're burning natural gas. If we were importing it with a pipeline, people would say it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. When they discovered that we were exporting it, we were uh, people's attitude became, what's in it for me, what's in it for me, and frankly, anti-business. I, I, I thought of a, of a metaphor of how to think of this. If we were growing Christmas trees here, which uh, uh, in some parts of Oregon, Christmas tree farms are a very, very vital industry. There are still a group of people who really want a cut fresh tree and there's land that isn't good for growing anything else except trees so they have small lots in which they have tree farms perfectly legitimate business but i could imagine people in let's just say uh the bay area deciding that it's immoral to cut trees down not quite recognizing that the trees they're cutting down were farmed trees that are seven years old grown on land that was only good for growing christmas trees and we should treat them like flowers uh, or any other kind of decorative crop that people or pumpkins and then saying sorry we're not only are we not going to let you uh, sell them we're not going to allow them to be sold in the state of oregon or the state of california it's like hold it growing christmas trees are what we do here it's actually a perfectly okay thing now i'm going to say people in oklahoma and wyoming and north dakota and alberta and saskatchewan have natural gas to sell i can't be a purist about natural gas because after all i heat my house with natural gas our cook stove is natural gas we we uh, our range is natural gas they have it to sell i don't feel exactly moral in saying you shouldn't sell what you have to sell any more than I would think it would be okay for people in, in uh, we'll just say, Sh- in Redding or Shasta County where the freeway goes through saying, we won't allow the transport of cut Christmas trees from Oregon to Southern California because we disapprove of them. I totally agree that, that the pipeline people have an absolute obligation to create a safe pipeline. I'm not saying, hey, we should accept a big risk and leaks or whatever. They ought to have insurance for it and very, very safe and monitor it. And uh, But we, in fact, have pipelines bringing natural gas in right now. I've always said if you could, I mean, I've worked in construction for 100 years. If you could go outside with x-ray glasses and look into the ground just in the road that you live on, you would absolutely fall over just to see all the pipes that 
are there that people, even when they go in and fix and repair pipes, that they find old pipes that aren't aren't energized or sometimes they are, but they're not on plans. People can't find them. And so it just, it just baffles me. Hey, to your studio here, I didn't see electric lines. There's buried electric lines. There's buried sewer lines because uh-huh. you're, you're, when you flush the toilet, it doesn't just sp- spill out onto the uh, onto the bathroom no, floor. It works uh, just fine. It yeah. works. So there's there's water lines underground. There's sewer lines underground. There's is there natural gas here? At this uh, apparently there is, but not to my place. I All have right, a heat so pump. But there's natural gas. There's electricity. Uh, we have utilities that are buried underground to say. Well, we don't want another utility. It seems selfish to me. However, as I wrote in my blog, I'm, I'm not a gigantic fan of Pembina. In fact, as I pulled up to the studio here, I listened to a Pembina ad. Oh, how wonderful we are. Oh, trust us. We're just we're, we're so neighborly and good. And I'm thinking, give me a break. Uh, how, how much am I supposed to believe some company that says, we're Pembina, as I guess I pronounce it right. We're Pembina. We're swell guys. You can like us and trust us. And I'm going, uh, I'd li- I want you to be businesslike. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I'm not looking for a friend. I, I, I want you to do your job competently. Yeah. Unfortunately, they are just a pipeline transportation energy company. Yep. And uh, in this case, uh, it'll start out with construction. And somehow they have to convince the public that uh, standards that are used every day in construction all over the state won't be any different with them. I mean, right. it's absurd. So anyway, l- let's get past that. We used to have solid conservative federal representation here that were respected like Senators Hatfield and Packwood, who didn't leave the greatest personal legacies, but their political legacies were good. Do you think Oregon will ever be able to get behind a solid Republican who has environmental, social, fiscal, and or any other concerns that defy political affiliation? My sense is that Trump has been a very, very bad influence on the Republican Party. A lot of Republicans who wouldn't normally like Trump figure that, well, there are a bunch of yahoos who do like him, and there's a segment of the Republican Party electorate that likes him, and therefore they make kind of a, a, a Faustian deal. They, they, they make an agreement that, well, he'll give us what we want on abortion, or he'll give us what we want on this or that, and we will ignore the rest of it. I think it's a bad choice that they're making. Part of why I kind of impressed with Jessica Gomez was that I was seeing that it was possible, perhaps, for there to be a different kind of Republican who was Latina, number one, who was not viciously Uh, uh, anti-abortion. I thought it might serve the Republican Party well for there to be that voice out there. She lost, but she lost in part because it was a very, the Senate district that she was in is a very Republic, a very Democratic one. Uh, there's about, a, I don't know, 10 point disadvantage for Republicans. And uh, she lost by about 10 points. So the Republican who ends up taking on Senator Merkley, should we write his obituary, his or her obituary today, the day they register or the day after the primary? Um, my assumption is that Jeff Merkley is going to realize that he's not likely to be president, and therefore uh, he's going to settle back into being an Oregon Democrat and for re-election as a U.S. senator. That's what I think will happen. In fact, I'm confident that will happen, Sure. although I don't have any inside information on it. Unless uh, they change the law so he can run no, both. He's, 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 
you have plenty of time. You don't need to file for the office until about March of 2016, and he will have... 2018. Eight, pardon me, 2000. 19. March 20, of 2020. 20, okay, I, okay. I, you know what? I, I should figure out what date, what year it is, yeah. shouldn't I? Uh, now you got he, me doing it. He has plenty. Of, what he will discover as he continues to go to New Hampshire and Iowa is that he is getting way smaller crowds than Kamala Harris and, and Beto if he runs and others, and that the place for that Elizabeth Warren is a better spokesperson for very liberal, democratic, progressive things than, than he is, and he will bow to that inevitability. That's what I think will happen. So here's the problem. If he dilly-dallies too long, then someone like a Newt Bueller might think that that's an open, or it could be an open shot, and Newt Bueller raised, what, uh, $25 million or something, and because of Merkley's politics and what's happening with the Democratic Party, he's not going to raise money from PACs and other things. He's going to have to, Merkley's going to have to try to do it, raising money and dribs and drabs of a uh, $10 and $30 contributions from people, uh, it could be a race. Still, as we saw in Multnomah County, Donald Trump has energized Democrats, and even though Newt Bueller was not a particularly pro-Trump sort of person, he was a Republican. He carried, the, he carried a great big R on his forehead for Republican, even though he didn't, it wasn't a big T for Trump. It was a big R for Republicans, and Republicans have been associated with Trump, and the net result is that he lost. I didn't, I didn't know it was possible to lose a county, uh, what, 84%. There were some precincts where it was, it was literally 9-to-1 uh, for, uh, uh, for Kate Brown. And I suspect that nothing that Trump will do in the next year and a half other than die uh, if he were to die, it would uh, change. Uh, the dynamics would change. But bottom line is, I think that if Trump is around, then Democrats will be energized, and that that will serve uh, Merkley very, very well. I agree. And even if he gets ten or twenty dollar donations, he is so popular that that's going to be a lot of money in the end. It'll be enough money, right? Um, yes, it'll be enough money. So the <laughs> my next one. Kurt Ankerberg, you, yeah. uh, now this guy, I didn't even write a question, but I mean, this guy is his own worst enemy, but I want to talk to this guy. He has a lot of good ideas. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Kurt Ankerberg is very, very intelligent guy. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that, although I suppose you could email him and tell him, be sure to listen to this because he, he came up at minute 32 or whatever this is. 40. 40. 40 minutes. All right. Well, uh, Kurt Ankerberg, in my effort to be fair and honest, and uh, I, I interviewed him at my house. Uh, my wife cautioned me, saying, "Peter, he's you sure you want to let him in your house?" And I said, I, "Hey, I'm not afraid of anybody." So I, I interviewed him at my house. Um, we ha I had what I thought was a very, very good uh, conversation. And then, about uh, because I was quoting him, about four hours before I pushed send or to publish rather my write up on the uh, interview, uh, I sent it to him. I said, "If I have any of the quotes wrong, you uh, you might tell me, and I'll." think about making changing it. I, I want to I want to quote you accurately and he wrote the angriest most vicious that honestly I, I I thought I praised him I thought it was a very positive thing he viewed it as he was confident that I was nothing but a I'll say it a, he had nothing but a terrible horror for the Chamber of Commerce you and your Chamber of Commerce buddies and I'm thinking Chamber of Commerce buddies when I ran for county commissioner, they ran ads against me. Anyway, it was... Uh, but there is some weird relationship with 
the Chamber of Commerce and Travel Medford. Oh yeah. 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 I, hey, the Chamber of Commerce doesn't return my phone calls. Really? I told on them too. Hey, <laughs> they, they well they got they got I think the number was sixty thousand dollars worth of or maybe it was forty thousand dollars then another twenty or thirty. They get money from Pembina. Pembina, whatever, and two days later they allocate it to the uh, to their uh, favorite candidates. So Jessica Gomez, Rick Dyer, Colleen Roberts, uh, uh, Kim Wallen, Republicans. Uh, the Chamber of Commerce pretends that they're a business organization, but their PAC is actually a Republican Party PAC. You might say, well, officially we're not. I go, well, you know, officially you aren't. Uh, you know what? Uh, it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and donates money exactly like a duck. And uh, so it's, which they have every right to be, but I told on them. They didn't, and by telling on them, I, I simply reported that they got all this money and immediately turned it over to Republican candidates, and it was in their hands for 48 hours and it looked sort of like a pass-through well they said we thought about it before we didn't pass it through we had it and we gave it immediately the Mail Tribune again doesn't really have reporters much anymore and so they don't cover this and uh, it's not my goal to go out and make enemies but I simply told the truth rather like the Mail Tribune subscriptions Truth is, your listeners, if you get a subscription renewal and it says, thank you for being a loyal subscriber, just remember, if you're paying $440, your neighbor is getting it for $115. Why? Re cancel, renew it in somebody else's name, and you start the clock at the bottom end again. Hey, they want you to game the system. And regarding the, the Medford Chamber of Commerce, I don't wish them ill will, but they are a Republican pack pretending to be a business organization. They have every right to do that, and I have every right to reveal how they handle their campaign contributions because it's public information. I just drew it right from the Secretary of State's office. But and since the Mail Tribune isn't covering this, there they are. And, and it, you know what? I did the same thing on Greg Walden. Uh, Greg Walden gets lots of money from drug companies and then runs ads in the Mail Tribune, big, beautiful color ads congratulating him for getting an award from the from the drug industry for how he helps innovation in brand new drugs but when you look at the three companies that sponsored the ad you see all three of the companies are lobbying organizations whose primary thing is to make sure that medicare doesn't buy drugs doesn't allow reimportation of drugs and, and is in favor of the U.S. law that prohibits Medicare from negotiating lower drug prices. They are organizations whose primary purpose is to keep drug prices high for Americans and keep taxpayers paying the highest price in the world for drugs. I'm going, you know, uh... Maybe someone should simply report that. In my blog, I attempt not to be a judgmental shrew. I try not to say, you miserable creep. I say, guess what they're doing? Let me report it. And happily, a week after I wrote an article on it, the Mail Tribune copied it. They didn't copy it. I'm not accusing them of plagiarizing. They simply used exactly my methodology for saying, yep, I guess they... Uh, they got interested. They got interested. Yeah. Well, you you went off on a tangent there that I would be apt to respond to with Greg Walden's um, medical contributions, but I think we're going to leave that to the next All right. the next time because I definitely want to have you back and we'll 
speak a little more politically and um, from maybe a left and a right perspective. Before I wrap this up, wrap this up. I want I want your review. Was I mean? Was I the devil? Was I angry? Was I ugly? How did I do? Right now? Yeah. Yeah. You're you're fantastic, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm. Come on. I'm. You know, you, uh, ten... Your demeanor was. Your demeanor's fine. I'm going to say to the to the public out there. Wait, that, wait. Let me ask you one question. Trish Glows. I'm not sure. Yeah, anybody should talk to you. Okay. You're, you're fine. Your, your behavior is great, but 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 you kind of got me on beautiful. You you, you look like a very healthy uh, whatever it is, fifty year old guy. Fifty four. Fifty four year old yeah. guy who used to have cool. a, used to have a lot more hair. You, you, you're, you're and not, a lot more muscles. You're, you're a nice looking guy in a uh, in a rugged. You know, in the look of a rugged guy who's seen some hard times. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, okay. So, thanks for making me laugh. Well, so, you, look, you, 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 you screwed up when you added beautiful, good looking. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know I said beautiful. I might have to cut that out. All right. Um, you, you, but your behavior is uh, great. That you're, you're good. At let's your... both make a political prediction between yeah. now and the end of the near future. Yeah. Just say till the next election. You go first, and then I'll give you mine. I'll give you a couple of predictions. Okay. Um, number one is Greg Walden will, not immediately, he will, in fact, be arranging with a couple of favorite Republicans, let them know he's thinking of not running, is, so that he can hand the hand his office off to the, there's a Republican state senator or Republican county commissioner or Republican district attorney somewhere in the district that he wants to have do it, and he will resign or announce that he's going to resign late enough that other people who, who are taken by surprise by this won't have time to gear up. So in short, he's going to hand it off. He's, he, he's all done. Prediction number one is that Greg Walden's going to retire and become a lobbyist and make Boku money because he went from being the chairman to being the guy who looks at the chairman, and that's, uh, that's no fun. And the second thing, my other second prediction is that, is that Jeff Merkley will run for re-election, and uh, as a senator, let me think. Uh, my third prediction is that uh, Donald Trump, I think it is entirely possible that Donald Trump will be reelected because my Democratic progressive friends will insist on a Democratic candidate that will recapitulate the George McGovern story in 1972 and that Donald Trump will manage to make someone who's actually not all that liberal look like a uh, socialist danger to America because Donald Trump is a very, very, very skilled person at demonizing opponents, and America is open to that. We'll have to see about that. Um, All right, what are your three? Do you have three predictions for me? No, I just have one. Right, I'm just going to tell you one, and it, this is a mortal lock, as we say in the sports betting world uh, of sports fans, and that is that we are going to go to war in North Korea, guaranteed. North Korea. Yes. Oh, yeah, tell us. This is. Uh, I, I may. I may blog on this. Why, why? Why? Why would you say that? Continued manufacturing of fissile material, no denuclearization, and Bolton is a lunatic, and they are simply too much of an offensive threat. I, I think it's unlikely. Uh, I think uh, we could act. I absolutely think we can come to grief, but we're not going to do it because we're just going to bomb them out of from out of nowhere. Well, that's against the rules. I didn't critique your prediction, so you don't get to critique mine. All right. So yeah. wrap, let's wrap this up. All right, wait. 
it's been fun talking to you. You're a good interviewer, and uh, uh, I, I, I think you should cut the portion where I say you're not good looking. <laughs> uh, that's nobody's business. This is radio. You can be, you can look at anything you want, and you should just stick with the issue, uh, the fact that you're a, a, a good and facile and well prepared interviewer. Thank you, thank you. I take that as a compliment. So I'll end this in the usual fashion. You can be a guest. The list is long, but I'm always open for someone who can hold a conversation that has entertainment value, has something to plug or pimp. If you are one of these people, I'd be happy to have you on my show, and you can reach me at medfordsbestpodcast at gmail.com.